Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning. Man, it is great to be in the house of God. It is great to be with good-looking people. And when you can't do that, I get to be with you. So, no, it is great, man. You look great. You look great online uh, for those that are tuning in with us. And just such a joy to be able to minister in person as well as virtually. And uh, so we're going to continue this morning in the book of 2 Corinthians. If you have a Bible, I trust you do. Would you grab it? Would you open it? I see some of you grabbing your phone. I love my Bible. Anybody else with me? I love to doodle. I love to write notes. I love to underline. I love to highlight. I'm going to have you do some of those things this morning in your Bible. Uh, But as we continue our series in 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing, and our series is simply entitled The Sufficiency of Grace. The Sufficiency of Grace. Just let that sink in for a minute. As Paul is writing to the church, he's writing so because he's somewhat in defense of himself. Um, This has been probably considered one of Paul's most personal letters to all the churches that he wrote. He's defending himself over his apostleship, which has come under question because of some teachers that have entered Corinth and began to kind of slam Paul. Kind of amazing there would be any kind of strife or division in a church, right? Paul is simply reminding them that God's grace is sufficient. And so up to this point, he's focused on God's comfort. He's he's reinforcing that God is good all the time. His grace is sufficient all the time. No matter what the circumstance, God is going to be good, and his grace will be sufficient. And so he's already written in these first seven chapters that we've looked at in this series about uh, forgiveness, about character under fire, about affliction, about turmoil, about not receiving God's grace in vain. And so now he makes a little bit of a transition to remind them that when you receive God's comfort, when you receive his grace, because his grace is sufficient, it equips you to do something with what you've received. I don't know if you've ever received something and you kind of look at it and go, so what am I supposed to do with this, right? Anybody get one of those Christmas gifts or a birthday gift and you get something and you go, wow, this is really great. What is it and what am I supposed to do with it? Well, Paul is reminding them that when you receive God's grace, it's given to you for a reason. One of the key verses in Paul's letter is, is in chapter 12 and verse 9. You don't have to flip there, but I'll show it to you on the screen. He simply says this, my grace, this is God, my grace is sufficient for you. Somebody say amen. amen. For my power, God's power, is made perfect or complete in your weakness. Somebody say amen. amen. Anybody else need that every day? See, it's in our weakness that God's strength is sufficient. So when we look at sufficient, sufficient, the dictionary simply says it is adequate for the purpose. It is enough. I want you to just rest in that thought for a minute. Let the paint dry on that one, if you would, for just a moment. My grace, God says, my grace is sufficient. In other words, it's enough. It's adequate. That's all you need. Because it's in my grace, my power is going to be put on display in your weakness. And in the difficulties of our life, sometimes we feel that, don't we? 
We certainly have been feeling that for months, going, man, who am I, what am I, where are we going, what in the world is our world coming to? God, I just need to lean deep into you. Anybody find themselves in that moment? Anybody know what's going to happen the rest of this week? Yeah. So what are we going to do? We're going to lean into his grace because his grace is sufficient. And as we grow in that grace, we begin to realize God's grace is sufficient. And if that is true, listen to me, if God's grace is sufficient, if it's adequate, if it's enough, then everything else above that is over and above. Hang on to that for a moment, right? If God's grace is sufficient, then everything else in our life is in addition to. It's over and above. And once we begin to gain that perspective as children of God, we begin to realize that we are now free to minister God's love and grace through us and our weakness to the people that we come in contact with. But in so many times in, in our Christian life, we are still wanting to be the recipients of God's strength and comfort and power instead of realizing God's grace in me is already sufficient to do what? To minister and care to the needs of others. And yet we still fail to grow and, and we want to be the recipient instead of realizing, man, as a recipient of God's grace, I need to do something with what I've received so I can care for the needs of other people. And so that's exactly where Paul takes us at this point in his letter. He sends Timothy, and so Timothy is in Corinth. He probably delivered the letter to the church there. They know him well. He's got great reputation. Paul has introduced Timothy. Timothy is his son in the faith. He's poured his life into him. And Timothy has ministered to this body of believers. And so Timothy is there to receive something from the church, something that they started. And now Paul's going to tell them to complete what you started. And so Paul makes this transition at the end of seven going into chapter eight. And it's really kind of an interesting process because he is there to pick up a special offering. Are you ready to give a special offering this morning? I'm going to ask you to give yourself anew and afresh to God. So Paul is here in Corinth to pick up this special offering. There's hardships going on in Macedonia, which is just north of Corinth. It, it includes the churches of Thessalonica and, and or, uh, yeah, Thessal Thessalonica, of Philippi, of Berea. Those are the communities up there in Macedonia. There's hardship that's taking place in the churches in Jerusalem. And so the, the believers are gathering up this offering and Timothy's there to pick it up and to help disperse, to meet the needs of people. And so Paul is simply reminding them of what they started. And it's interesting because his subject now changes in his letter from all the comfort that I've received reinforcing who I am to now talking about giving, talking about fulfilling the work that God started in you and through you. And it's really interesting because I don't know about you, but I would probably like to just go, oh, Paul, keep telling us about comfort and joy. Right? Pastor Scott hit on that last week, the, the overflowing joy in overwhelming circumstances. Wouldn't you rather just sit and, and hear about God's comfort and his joy? Yeah, and I'm sure that's what the people in Corinth were like, oh, Paul, this has been so sweet. Keep telling us about comfort. Keep telling us about joy. And Paul's going, I would love to do that, but you have to do something with what you have. 
He's already told us back in chapter 6 not to receive God's grace in vain, but we have to do something with what we have received. So that's exactly where Paul takes us. And so in chapter 8 and chapter 9, these two chapters, it's amazing because 10 times in these two chapters, Paul uses the word grace. And it's the subject of the grace of giving, giving financially, but also giving of themselves. And so that he's drilling home this idea that as we as believers, followers of Jesus Christ are transformed through the grace of God, it allows us to then begin to minister God's comfort and his grace to other people. Folks, listen, we are not simply to be recipients of God's grace. We are to receive it, let it change us, and then begin to minister God's grace and his comfort to other people. But so often we just want to be the recipient. Oh, it's just great to be part of a body of believers. And it is, isn't it? Man, I love being part of a church. But we're not part of a church to simply receive. We become distributors of God's grace and his comfort. And so Paul is really beginning to drill down. And so very simply in verse 13 of chapter 7, Paul makes this transition. It's kind of an awkward chapter break that the scholars did years ago. But it simply begins at verse 13, chapter 7 with these words, therefore, we are comforted. Therefore, we are comforted. If you have your Bible open, just circle that word, therefore. In practical Bible study method, anytime you see the word therefore, you stop and ask what it is there for. And simply what has happened through the first seven chapters, he's just drilled home. Guys, here's how God's comfort works. Here's how his grace works. Here's what he does in your life through afflictions. When when your character is under fire, when you're struggling with the idea of forgiveness, when you're dealing with spiritual warfare, here is God's comfort. Therefore, we are comforted. And then he makes a break and he begins to dive into this. And so here's the points that I want you to follow along. This is our big principle this morning. Are you ready? As God's people, you and I, are transformed by God's grace, they live, and I'm going to give you a few points, they live first with purposeful obedience. Paul is saying, look, as God's people are transformed by God's grace, you and I begin to live with purposeful obedience. Picking up in verse 13, he says, therefore we are comforted. Because of all the stuff I've just said, and he says now, and besides our own comfort, Right now it begins to shift from inward to outward. We rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. Do you see the the passive language? It's already been refreshed by all of you. For whatever boast I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all. You hear it? You hear the language? It's proved true. They're living in obedience. How you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. It's like a parent who who begins to see their child living and walking in obedience. I can go away or I can entrust something to you because you've proven to be true. You've proven yourself faithful. You've lived in obedience. I've been refreshed by all that I've seen you do as you've lived in obedience. What about you? Are you living in obedience to God's word? 
Are you a recipient of God's grace to go, oh, this is so great. I get to go to heaven one day, but you're not living in joyful, purposeful obedience right now. Because I will promise you this, if you are a recipient of God's grace, God calls you to a greater life than you are living. Uh, I totally get it. I am not what I used to be, but I'm certainly not what God fully intends for me to be. This is the process of spiritual growth and purposeful obedience. Praise God, I'm not what I used to be. Amen? Amen. I know some of you. I'm, praise God, you're not what you used to be. But can we all agree, but I'm not what God really intends for me to be either. I should be growing, and I should certainly see markers of growth in my life, but you know what? I'm not complete. I am still a work in progress, and that will never end until the day I stand before Jesus. I don't care how much knowledge we acquire of God's Word. I don't care how much we begin to see things change in our life. Listen, we never reach the point of full completion and maturity until we stand before Jesus. There's always something in my life that I can learn to live in purposeful obedience to Jesus Christ and His command for my life. But he goes on because he says not only, right, as God's people are transformed by God's grace, they live with purposeful obedience, but he also says, but they live with grace as family. I love this. Anybody need grace? We need God's grace and we need grace with one another, don't we? Man, give me a little space. Give me, give me a little grace. Just, you know, if it would just extend a little grace to me. That's what we do as a body of believers. But I love Paul because Paul, just like Jesus, was this incredible balance of grace and truth. See, you have to have truth in a loving relationship and in a family situation, you have to have truth. And you have to couple that truth with grace. And everyone wants to go, well, Jesus was loving. And you know, we think of Jesus as like a hippie flower child. Well, like he, like he had no value. Like, listen, I'm just going to tell you right now, Jesus was the most manly man that ever lived. And he spoke with incredible love and incredible grace, but he also spoke with profound truth. And it was out of love and it was out of grace that he went into the temple, grabbed a whip, flipped some tables and flogged some guys. And I'm telling you what, I don't want to be part of a church that Jesus would come in and flip tables and start whipping people. Amen. Why? Because he had this balance of love and truth, grace and mercy and truth. Guys, listen, that's what a church is. If you simply want to live in disobedience to God's word, you have to realize that in grace and truth, other believers are going to step into your life and speak truth to you. Yeah, absolutely. Purposeful obedience. We're growing in a right relationship with Christ, but we also live with grace as family. Look at chapter 8, verse 1, as Paul writes these words. We want you to know brothers, 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 sisters in Christ, part of the body of believers, those who've surrendered their life to Christ, those who are following Jesus Christ. We are family. I want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. He, he, he takes it from being an individual body of believers to a greater body of believers. You are not simply here as part of Southbridge Fellowship Church. You are here as part of this great body of believers known throughout the world of people who've surrendered their heart and life to Jesus Christ. And we are part of a massive movement of people who live as family. Amen? Met a guy yesterday in Walmart. I said, dude, you just seem to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He said, I am. 
And we had a great encounter. He's been in Raleigh for three months. <laughs> what a time to move, right? Amidst pandemic. He's working at Walmart, serving as a lay leader in a local church. But there was just something about him, right? Because I just said, hey, man, how you doing? He goes, I'm living victoriously. I said, dude, you must be a follower of Jesus Christ. He goes, I am. And we had just a great time together while Leslie was wandering around Walmart doing whatever. And then I hit the toy aisle and I had fun. And then we met at the front and we went home. But there's something about being part of a family of God. I love the writer, Pastor John Stott. He said, our love grows soft, listen, if it is not strengthened by truth. And our truth grows hard if it is not softened by love. Welcome to the family. If you're a parent, you understand the idea of love and grace and truth. And so Paul could honestly, lovingly convey truth to them in a manner that was gracious and kind and merciful and yet speak the truth in love because we live as a family in the context of grace and truth. So as God's people are transformed by God's grace, they live first with purposeful obedience. They live with grace as family. But he says also they live with gracious generosity. Literally, these two chapters, this segment of Paul's letter is all about giving. And you think, oh man, giving, every time I go to church, they're talking about giving. No, we don't. But do you realize that Jesus talked more about your possessions and your giving than any other single topic? Jesus talked more about money and personal possessions than anything, even about salvation. Why? Because he understood that how we deal with possessions and how we view our possessions is really an expression of our heart. Are we surrendered to Christ? Do you realize that everything you have belongs to Jesus and he entrusted it to you? Now, I'm not just talking about your money and your car and your house. I'm talking about your relationships. I'm talking about your family. I'm talking about your job. I'm talking about the very breath you are about to take. Go ahead and take it. Yeah, right? That was from God, and it was a gift to you to steward. What are you going to do with your next breath? What are you going to do with your next step? What are you going to do with your next dollar, your next job, your next opportunity, your next encounter with somebody? Everything, guys, that we have. And that's what Paul is saying. When we begin to understand that the sufficiency of grace, everything above God's grace has been entrusted to us for a purpose, and we need to give graciously. We need to be gracious, generous people of the comfort and the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ. And yet we, we tend to hoard it. So Paul just builds out on this a little bit. Now listen, I know what some of you are thinking right now, but can I just tell you this? Some people think they're generous because they give free advice. That is not what we're talking about this morning, okay? I, I am so grateful that so many people through my life have been generous with free advice. And so many people, as I've pastored churches through the years, who come and go, oh, Pastor Dave, God gave me a word for you, and you need to do this. And I said, well, I think you're wrong. I think God gave that word to you to do, right? Now, I would take some things graciously and, and understand, yeah, maybe God is giving me a word from someone. But sometimes, most of the time, I would say people just didn't want to follow God in faithful obedience, but they wanted me to do something for them. So as we live and we give graciously and generously, 
I want you to understand that Christians, as followers of Christ, Paul is saying, you and I show what we are by what we do with what we have. We show who we are, we show whose we are by what we do with what we have. Oh man, I, I couldn't possibly go pick up kids for vacation Bible school. I couldn't possibly drive out of my way to pick up someone and bring them to church to be loved and cared for with the comfort and the grace and the mercy of God because I might wear out my tires and I don't have money to buy new tires. Listen, I remember Dr. Howard Hendricks years ago said, everything you have is either a tool or an idol. Yeah, hang on to that, right? Everything you have is either a tool or an idol. Well, I couldn't possibly host a small group in my home. My, my carpet's not good enough. Oh, you know, I, don't, I need a new sofa. Look, open your home. We live with grace as family. Invite others into your home. Invite others into your life to do what? To share what you have because everything you have has been entrusted to you by God and his grace is sufficient for you. So in verse 2, he says, for in severe, I get this. this, this absolutely blows my mind. I want you to see the strange equation that Paul gives us right here. For in severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I, I want you to think of this as, as a word math problem. Those were always awful, weren't they? If a train left Chicago going south at 35 miles an hour and the temperature was 14 degrees, Celsius, you know. Listen to the weird equation that, that Paul gives us. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. In other words, what he's saying is affliction plus an abundance of joy plus extreme poverty equals a wealth of generosity. That just doesn't make sense, does it? Some of you are in this room going, yeah, but when I win the lottery, I, boy, I'm going to really give generously. Boy, if only I get that new job, only if I get that promotion. Well, I got a Christmas bonus coming in, and I'll give off of that. If you're not faithful with what you have right now, you will not be faithful with anything else that God entrusts to you. Got really quiet in here all of a sudden. G gracious generosity. We give joyfully. We give joyfully. I, I love Pastor E.V. Hill. He was a black pastor out in, in L.A. And I remember being at a conference with him years ago. Man, this guy could just preach it. And I will never, he didn't write this down. I didn't have it in the book, but he said this and I've never forgotten it to this day because he just stood there and he said, everything you got above nothing is because God gave it to you. Everything you have, wait, I should do it right. Everything you got above nothing is because God gave it to you. Amen? There's not a thing we possess that hasn't been entrusted to us by God. We need to give joyfully. He goes on in chapter 9, verse 7, and he simply says, as each, one of, uh, each, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful what? giver. One translation says God loves a hilarious giver. <laughs> In other words, we're giving out of this abundant, cheerfully going, God, I can't believe that you gave me your grace and it is sufficient. Anything above that, right, is over and above. 
Anything is over and above. Everything you've entrusted to me belongs to you anyway, so I'm giving it to you. You want what you've given to me? I just want to be faithful and give it back to you. And we immediately begin to think about money because Paul is specifically writing about money right here. But he's also talking about your very life. How are you entrusting your life to the needs and care for other people? Every encounter that you have, whether it's at Walmart or the automotive place at Jiffy Lube at Duck Donuts, every encounter you will have this week for Thanksgiving, right, as you gather to, to mourn the funeral of that dead turkey that is laying on the table. Some of you get that. We're going to gather. You know what? Those encounters have been entrusted to you to convey God's comfort and grace to that person who is sitting with you. Be joyous, right? Because as stewards, we don't just simply steward dollars. We steward our time. We steward our treasure. We steward our talent. Everything that God has entrusted to you, you have to be a good steward and you have to give it to him generously. Dr. James Dobson once said, God does not need our money. Some of you go, okay, that's, that's my takeaway for today. God doesn't need my money. Listen, he said, God doesn't need our money, but you and I need the experience of giving it. Because it is an act of faith. It is an act of trust. To say, God, everything I have above nothing is because you gave it to me. And I want to be generous and I want to give joyfully. I also want to give generously, right? I want to give generously. For in severe tests of affliction, verse 2, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. For they gave according to their means. Not everybody the same. Not everybody's given the same amount. Not everybody's gave, given the same gift. Not everybody's given the same amount of time. But according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond, here's the generosity, right? Give generously. And beyond their means of their own accords, begging. Listen, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. These people who are extreme, experiencing extreme affliction, extreme poverty. They are begging Paul, please, earnestly. The word is diligently. Paul uses that several times in these next two chapters. Earnestly or in earnest. It means to be diligent. They're diligently begging him, God, Paul, please let us do this. Let us give above and beyond as God leads us to do that. So then he could go on in chapter nine. He said to this to, to point is this, whoever sows spirit, sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Somebody say amen. amen. You can't outgive God. But we also need to give worshipfully, worshipfully. Paul says, yeah, absolutely, we give generously. But we also give worshipfully. In verse 5, he says, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, then by the will of God to us. I will just reiterate what Dr. Dobson said. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. 
And when he has your heart, you give to him joyfully. You give to him generously because you just see how he is providing for your needs. But they gave themselves first to the Lord. And I won't dwell on this. Pastor Scott hit this really great last week when he was talking about our our vertical relationship and our horizontal relationship. You see, nothing is right here on the horizontal range, whether it's relationships or giving or anything else in our walk in our relationship with God or God's people or a lost and dying world if this relationship isn't right. Amen? See, when this is right, all this is good. When we have our vertical relationship with Jesus Christ, good. We're living in repentance. We're living in surrender. We're we're living in an abandonment of our life to follow Jesus Christ. And we're dependent on him. We're spending time with him. We're spending time in his word. And when we get this right, all this works out well. Doesn't mean you get everything you want. It simply means my grace is sufficient for you. So wherever you find yourself, God is going, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going to care for you. But so he says we have to give worshipfully and we could really go on with that. But he goes on, he says, we also give increasingly. See, as we grow in our walk and our relationship with Christ, we, we learn to give even more. We give more and we give more. If you're a parent, you really understand this principle. As you grow in maturity and you begin to take on the needs of other people, you begin to give more of yourself and you are much more concerned with what others have than you. Am I right? Uh, Unless you are a dysfunctional adult, and I might be talking to some of you today and you need to get that right, let's talk about it. You need to get spiritually healthy before you get spiritually strong. Because some of you are are growing even in your faith or physically and you're still more consumed with your own needs than the needs of other people, including your spouse, including your children. And you might just need to get things right with Jesus Christ. But as we grow in our relationship with God, we begin to move toward maturity, just like me as a parent, right? My kids are grown and gone, but I remember, you know, as they would grow, I would love to gift things to them. I would love to give to them to help meet their needs. And I was far more concerned about their needs than my needs. Anybody else? That's what adults do. Oh, but I I really want this new toy, right? This adult toy, this boat, this gun, this, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is that, that kind of floats your boat in your world. And yet we realize that others in our life have needs. Well, guess what adults do? We meet the needs of other people. And as we grow in our walk and our relationship with Christ towards spiritual maturity, our our giving begins to increase because we see the needs of others around us. Six times in this chapter, three times in the next chapter, Paul uses that word earnest or earnestly or with all earnestness. And it simply means to be diligent. Literally, he's saying you got skin in the game. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you're part of the body of believers. You are invested in the mission. You're invested in the kingdom. You got skin in the game and you begin to give increasingly because you see God meeting your needs increasingly. And you begin to see the perspective of what God has entrusted to you. You give generously and you give increasingly. You give joyfully. You give worshipfully. 
And in verse 7, he simply says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. To excel, to do better, to give even more as you learn to trust God and grow and be transformed through his grace. So as God's people are transformed by God's grace, they live what? First with purposeful what? Obedience. They live with grace as family. They gracious generosity. Fourth, in what? I thought it'd be up there already. In progression to maturity. Progression to maturity. There's a process in life called growing up. It's kind of tough, isn't it? Interacted with a lot of adults through the years and they go, man, this adulting thing is hard. Anybody with me? Sometimes we would just like to kind of retreat and go, oh man, to be, I don't know, pick your number, right? What was a good number for you? 25? I ought to be 25 again. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm too worn out to back out and do all that all over again, right? But if you could go back knowing what you know now, what would you do different? If you, if you could go back to 14, 15, 16, 20, knowing what you know now, what would you do different? You'd buy Walmart stock, wouldn't you? If I went back to 15, I would be waiting for this thing called Amazon to come along and I would buy in at ground level, man, right? But spiritually, what would you do different, right? As you think about growing in your relationship with Christ, what have you learned? What is God leading you to do? Because as we grow in progression to maturity, we begin to take on greater responsibility. Again, that's what adults do. And so Paul, look at verse 7, he says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Jump down to verse 10. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago, get it, started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now, what is the word? Finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it. Complete the task. Continue the process of growth. Continue that process as you move forward and you're growing in your walk and your relationship with Jesus Christ. Guys, listen, as we receive God's grace, we learn to provide comfort and care to meet the needs of other people emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally, and yes, financially. That's part of the process of growing in grace. So I want to ask you this. As you grow in grace, knowing that none of us have arrived, there's not a person in this room, there's not a person watching online that has arrived at full spiritual maturity. I will promise you that. So I want to ask you a question that everyone in this room can answer, everyone watching online can answer, and it's a question that only you can answer for you. Are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. Here's your question. What is your next step in your spiritual growth and obedience in your spiritual journey with Jesus? What's your next step, your next step? 
Not someone else. Some of you are nudging your neighbor going, I know what you need to do. No, 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 I'm asking about you. What do you need to do? What is your next step in your spiritual growth process and in your walk and your relationship with Jesus Christ? Maybe we scratched the surface on something with you this morning. Maybe you're not spiritually healthy. Maybe, maybe you got issues that you've been hanging on to, and man, you need to, find, you need to find hope, you need to find healing, you need to find God's grace. Realize that it is sufficient to meet your needs. You need to learn to begin to give. Part of that is learning to serve. We have needs on our campus as we begin to expand. I will promise you right now, Pastor Brad is in the other building praying for more workers. I, he's back here praying for more workers. He's, he's scouting as he prays for more workers. I promise you those people in that hallway right behind that wall that are working with your small children are praying for help. Uh, I can tell you right now that we are praying for more small groups to launch that are spiritually healthy, spiritually strong, ready to equip people and grow them towards spiritual maturity so that we can do what? Give of our time and our efforts and our resources generously to begin to invest in more people. In other words, launch more groups. Maybe you need to connect in a group. Maybe that's your next step is simply connecting in an in a authentic biblical community with other people. Guys, I don't know what your next step is. But you do. And I simply, I tell you this, if you pray about that, God will show it to you. And if you need someone to talk to, we would love to help you with that. Whether you're online, you can simply, you know, text that, that number on the screen, 919-789-0304. Someone would love to jump on and talk with you. If you're in the room, we can talk with you here. We can talk with you outside. Find somebody and simply say, I need to find my next step. Where am I going to grow in my walk and my relationship with Jesus Christ? We want to help you do that. That's why we exist as a church. As we grow in God's grace, we're transformed to do what? To provide comfort and care and ministry to one another. Amen? Are you in this with me? Oh, God, that was empty. Are we in this together? Yes. Say, Pastor Dave, I'm in. Awesome. Let's pray together. Father, I am so thankful for your transforming grace, which is sufficient God, your grace is sufficient. It is enough. Everything else I have is above and beyond because your grace is sufficient. So whether you're in the room or whether you're online, would you stay with us? We'd love to just have discussions on campus or online and just have some further discussions. What does this mean? How does it begin to play out? What is my next step? But God, as we move through this week of, of Thanksgiving, God, would you minister to our hearts and lives? Would you grow us in your grace and teach us what it is to give generously and to minister to the needs of other people with our time, our treasure, and the talent that you've entrusted to us? In Jesus' name we pray together. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. amen.